0: Material in this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this podcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is for customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.
1: Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house, giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money.
0: We give common sense solutions to your complex problems.
1: I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner and investment advisor with over 20 years' experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm also a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro, as well as you are, John.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. We uh, we got linked up with uh, with Dave recently, so that's a that's a fun uh, fun affiliation. It is and, definitely. And uh, I have uh, I have an MBA in finance, and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 20 years.
1: We're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. We are right here every. Every week, here on podcast exclusively, up every Friday afternoon. Um, You can pull us down from moneymd.net or iTunes.
0: Yeah, if you go to the the website, Steve, we, on the right hand side we have a link to the podcast, so you can go and listen to previous shows. We have it categorized into different segments, um, so we make it easy to listen. You can listen either at your computer, download it, and uh, maybe you take a bike ride in the uh, Swiss Alps and you're listening to us.
1: There you go. You I download the whole the whole year. I mean, That's we got right. them all by subject Absolutely. area. You know, broken out there, so it's really easy to go back, pick your subject, and take a listen to us. And um, do check us out on our website, moneymd.net, where you can link to us there to ask us your questions. We'll answer those here on the show. And you can link to our previous shows, as we mentioned. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, I think we have an awesome show lined up for today. Um, as usual, I mean, we're going to talk about... Uh, uh, what not to do. What not to do, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of the things of the past that yeah. that didn't come true Listening to the headlines, right? Yeah,
0: there were some headlines historically, and I mean, they are really headlines every single week that are predicting uh, movements and markets and stocks and segments, and I mean, quite frankly, Steve, they just, people, people can't predict that kind of stuff. They, they say they can, but they can't. You look at the statistics. So we're going to go through very, three large um, examples of, of that um, historically, but you can apply it to what we're going through right now with the presidential election. A lot of people are up in arms about that, but um, we've got some answers for you
1: making vast
0: predictions out there yeah these
1: are classical examples i love these so you want to definitely listen to this and also though we're going to talk about the rules how knowing the rules can make all the difference and you know there are some great rules of thumb out there Mm -hmm. for your finances and they don't apply to every situation but it's a great starting place so we're going to go through 10 rules of thumb financially that you can look at your life and say, you know, is this this rule apply to me? Am I following this rule of thumb in my financial life? So those are really good. You want to stick around for that. But we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the
0: week. Yeah, this comes from Morningstar, a gentleman named David Um I guess he gathered all this data. Uh, pretty interesting, Steve. Real estate is the most valuable asset in the world. It's valued worldwide at 217 Trillion dollars—that's with the T. Wow! Stocks um, significantly less, sixty trillion, and the bonds or bond market is 122 trillion. So it kind of goes wow. to show you how it's everything's allocated out. Real estate is over 50% of the assets in the world, and um, stock market as much publicity as it gets and so forth. It it is um, it's still large. Sixty trillion is a big number, but it uh, pales in comparison to uh, the bond market as well as real estate.
1: That's true. I would point out that real estate is also the most highly leveraged mm, asset out
0: there. Yeah, um, you
1: agree. know, if you look at the amount of equity that's in real estate, I'm sure it's more than stocks, but it's probably, I mean, I bet real estate's 50% leveraged. I bet on you're average, right. You know, worldwide. Yeah. Um, so there's probably $100 trillion or more mm-hmm. in debt against the real estate. And, you know, I think people have to re- recognize that when you're going to, when you're tempted to invest in real estate, recognize that if you're leveraging it if you have 50% debt on a piece of real estate you have over twice twice the risk mm-hmm. due to that debt so you know if you lose 25% that means you've lost 50% of your equity yeah that's right right if you have 25% you know if you have if you have debt 50% debt yeah, on your it uh,
0: can definitely increases the risk increases in a lot of different lot. ways so you
1: have to think about that when you're t- thinking oh I can make as much on a rental property and you'll finance it 80% or something it's not i mean you're taking a lot more risk mm-hmm. if you're leveraging it so great financial fact of the week okay and that brings us up here to our first topic and that is the the market cataclysms that never were I, you know i love this cuz these are some classic examples of things that were in the headlines that it really paid a lot of attention to at the time, and just vaporized it didn't come to pass
0: yeah and i got uh you know questions from clients recently uh just asking about um you know a market collapse, and they had been reading some articles out there and listened to some talking heads and so forth and you know i mean the, the response basically is is no one knows when the markets are going to go down they, they periodically do go down, but people trying to predict it is um you know it's a fool's game quite frankly i mean it if is. you look at the st- statistics the, the market pundits get it wrong more than half the time. So um, this just goes back a little bit and looks at history. And, I mean, all markets experience rough patches, Steve. I mean, that's just a part of the the stock market. So when pundits claim that stocks or bonds are about to tank, investors may be tempted, uh, despite knowing the benefits of the long-term you know, investing, they may be tempted to sell their investments. And, uh, you know, while some predictions of market calamity may come true, Investing in both stocks and bonds over the long term can still offer many people their best chance of uh, meeting their financial goals. And, you know, to help put the uh, doomsday in perspective, you know, we've got a couple of uh, headliners here. And some of these go back, um, you know, decades. But, you know, this is a pretty good conversation from American funds that we're diving into here. And, Steve, the first one is uh, the death of equities.
1: The infamous death (laughs) of equities back in 1979. Yeah, that was a... That was a classic one. It was uh, in the August 1979 issue of Business Week magazine. You know, over the years, stock markets have been pronounced dead on numerous occasions, but that was the most notorious incident um, back then. And the gist of the cover was that the demand for equities was was in ter- a terminal decline. And that investors would increasingly shun them in favor of bonds or other types of assets. You know, this was back when you had double-digit inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of the factors. And, you know, the story suggested that, you know, it could represent a serious long-term threat to the stock market returns forever. And forever. Was- Forever, and it was just after that <laughs> that it turned around, and the 80s were one of the best yeah. decades for the stock market ever.
0: And so put that in perspective, Business Week, you know, I mean, Business Week has been around a long time, probably very credible, whoever was writing it, very knowledgeable, you know, access to all this information and putting their pulse on the, on the you know, the pulse of, uh, of the markets and so forth, and he was wrong. We're dead wrong. Dead, dead wrong. Exactly opposite. So, you know, the article reflected a broader sense of gloom that was really not that uncommon among, uh, you know, equity investors in the late 70s and the early 80s. I mean, the, the Dow Jones Industrial a- Average seldom stayed above the thousand point mark for more than a couple of days. And one prominent Wall Street banker dubbed this phenom- phenomenon quadrophobia, fear of four digits. So apparently it was around 1,000 and it would drop down and it would never go, go above it. Well, in 1982, um, you know, no one was out there holding the flag and saying, hey, now's a good time to get into the market. But 1982, the Dow finally bid farewell to the three digits and they embarked on a 17-year bull market. I mean, the index peaked at about 11,723 in 2000, and that was a 15% annualized return for 17 years. Wow.
1: So not quite the death of equities.
0: No, they missed it. They missed it. Now, you know, there was obviously the dot-com bubble after that, and then there was a good five-year run, you know, in the 2000s, and then you had to real estate. So our point is, is the markets will will drop in the future, um, but no one knows when um, and how long it's going to last. So diversification has proven to be a, a reasonable solution to this big issue. Right? Exactly. That's exactly right. So the death of equities. <laughs> was dead wrong. Was dead wrong. Pun,
1: pun intended. <laughs> yes, right. Absolutely. Another one here is the Lock death it. of
0: bonds back in 2009. Amid rising U.S. Treasury yields in early 2009, some market commentators, they wondered if investor demand would be swamped by the increased supply of bonds. So it was really a, a dire outlook um, for, for total returns. One article stated a reversal of fortune for bonds could well last for decades. So again, looking into the future and trying to make a prediction for decades—foolish. I, I mean, I just don't—I don't know. I mean, it, that's that's the way the markets work here. Is you can't predict them. No one can predict this for the next week, month, or year, but certainly not decades. That's
1: right. I mean, yeah, it's been far from the case, despite the the record low, you know, interest rates that we had back in two thousand nine. We still have today, but over the three year period. Uh, ending three years later, after that, I mean, the cumulative return for Treasuries was 18.6 percent, and meanwhile, investment grade and below investment grade U.S. corporate bonds generated total returns of almost 29 percent and 40 percent, respectively. So, you know, of course, yields are are very very low today at the moment, and um, you know, low yields typically don't bode well for total returns for for bonds. And that is one of the reasons why people are still touting the same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, the death of bonds. They're going to be terrible for years to come. At some point, they'll probably prove prove right for a while. But, you know, it's been since 2009, and it hasn't happened yet, has it?
0: A long time, seven years. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bond market is extremely diverse, and it comprises many, many issuers. Um, A lot of companies out there, a lot of countries and sectors, and you know, there's typically some part of the market that offers some attractive return um, you know, at any given time, especially when you start looking over longer periods of time. So making short-term decisions on some of the, the market headlines is detrimental to your long-term success, bottom line. I mean, that's, you know, there's another one here we're going to talk about. It's, it's M- Munigeddon. That's <laughs> yes, right.
1: Munigeddon, just the very next year, 2010. Yeah, it was a contentious uh, doomsday predictions of the widespread municipal bond defaults as well as deteriorating finances among some of the local and state governments that have cast a shadow over the markets in recent years. And they were predicting that was going to lead to, you know, doomsday for municipal bonds back in 2010. And yet amid the ongoing fiscal challenges, municipal bonds have generated among the highest after-tax total returns of any fi- uh, fixed income sector of late. Um so you never know. There again, you know, uh, one more prediction and it hasn't come true. And it's what we were six years later here and muni bonds are still holding up despite all the all the problems.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I read an article, Steve, um, you know, recently about if Trump is elected, he would shave off a trillion dollars from the value of our economy. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a big number. Man, that's a scary headline. And it's like, who is this person that thinks he can predict? I mean – you know he's trying to make a forecast but put, making decisions based on these headlines we see it time and time and time again um you know if you have you know 100,000 people making predictions some people are going to get it right cuz the markets do go in cycles
1: well it's luck too it is
0: luck absolutely i mean it's like you know throwing a dart someone's going to hit it in the middle um but but most people get it wrong and and the the best solution that we see is being diversified, have a plan, try to pay off debts, the stuff that Dave Ramsey talks about, you know, have an emergency fund, um, and turn off the TV because it will scare the heck out of you. Exactly. Just don't don't put any stock in these headlines because we see time and time again that these headlines are typically wrong. And when they are right and the markets do go down, if you're diversified and you have a plan, that's typically been a pretty good solution to it.
1: That's exactly right. So, yeah, don't pay attention to the headlines. History shows. They're wrong a lot more often than they're right. That's right. <laughs> so, great, uh, great topic. All right, that leads us up here to our
0: question of the week. Yeah, this comes from a client. This is not from me. My daughter is getting married. <laughs> not Uh-oh. yet. Uh-oh. So, at some point, I'm sure that'll be in the the future. No so, doubt. Um, me too. And we've already started talking about this a little bit. Just uh, and so the question is. Daughter's getting married. How much should I budget? And I think oh, it, the
1: short answer is a lot. A lot.
0: Well, I think the key is 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 making sure you define what that number is, and then give yeah. give you know if you have a um, you know your wife and and daughter um, or son if they're in the in the process you know getting getting married, just have a number that you can agree to on a budget wise. And um, you know I've I've talked to uh, have a friend that their daughters just got married or getting married in December, and fifteen is their number. And I talked to another gentleman that twenty five was the number. So, you know, there's there's some and it can go. Man, you can go well north of that. As low as five. That's right.
1: People spend five on a wedding. So you can get married from five thousand to infinity. Yep. You know, (laughs) and beyond, and beyond. I mean, what did Chelsea Clinton spend? You know, Uh, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand. Came from the foundation. It was a big probably. (laughs) I'm sure it was charitable. Exactly.
0: Um, But yeah, I think setting a budget. um, You know, and it has to be a family budget, and you shouldn't go into debt for it. and – you know, you should either, you know, start saving up for it, you know, at this point. But set a number that's right for your family. You know, I would say between 10 and 20 would be a very nice, you know, reasonable wedding. Exactly.
1: And uh, but plan accordingly. Yes. Right. Just plan for that. Amount. Plan it out. Just do some planning so you know what it's going to be. So you don't come up with some huge surprise at the end and you're in some massive debt and you've ruined your your retirement, know, or, retirement yeah. or five years or whatever it is. So a great question of the week. All right. And that leads up here to our next topic. And that is knowing the rules can make all the difference. Yeah, these are 10 financial rules of thumb that we're going to look at here, John. And you know, John, a little knowledge can be a powerful thing, especially if it's in the right hands. Mm-hmm. And we think you're in the right hands to put that information into your hands today. And that's why we do this show. We want to give you, arm you with the tools to make great decisions Um, And you know, if you want to be good at golf or cooking or any other important skill, there are some fundamental rules that you have to know in order to be successful, right? I'm not talking about legalities here either. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about what's allowed, but I'm talking about how it, what works and what doesn't work and what you're trying to do. And that's true with finances as well. Um, What makes you successful in golf, for example, is to maybe keep your left arm straight, swing on plane, keep your eye on the ball through your swing, among a lot of other things, right, John? Yeah, hit it in the fairway. It takes Not a lot next of, to a tree. Exactly. <laughs> it takes a lot of things to be <laughs> successful at golf. Um but that's true with a lot of things and finance as well. So we got ten uh ten things here that you need to to kind of be aware of when it comes to Um, Your finances, because there are some fundamental rules that make a lot of difference to staying on the right path. And these rules of thumbs that are are things that will... uh, Get you started and keep you straight and narrow over time when it comes to your finances.
0: Yeah, we, we hear them thrown around all the time, Steve. You know, how much should you save? How much debt um, should you have that's reasonable? How much life insurance? I mean, while not specific to an individual situation, rule of thumbs are great to know. I mean, they can save you, you know, um, from, from straying into dangerous territory with your finances. And they can also just be a good starting point uh, before you do some detailed planning. So it's just a starting point. That's all. That's all it is.
1: Yeah, so we we, we, um, are going to talk about these 10 most important uh, financial rules of thumb today. And, you know, if you stick to these, you can help avoid some serious problems down the road. So number one here on the list is to maintain six months of savings in an emergency fund. Mm -hmm. Um, Great rule of thumb. And this sounds simple, I know, but yet very few young people really do this well and maintain it. that's the key you have to maintain it if you don't have an emergency fund then you're likely to end up in credit card debt because it's just a matter of time before something big happens and you don't have enough to cover it I mean suppose you lose your job and it takes six months to find a replacement there's your six-month emergency fund it happens all the time and a six-month emergency funds only only a good answer is the only good answer to protecting you from that possibility um you know maybe your car breaks uh you have a big hospital bill your roof needs replacing i mean life happens and it costs a lot of money when it does so unless you have that emergency fund you're going to be stuck building up debt trying to make ends meet and then you're going to have a a lifetime of trying to get out of debt so do this as your first priority and before you save money anywhere else build up that six-month emergency
0: fund so 401k is okay for the emergency fund, no, yes. it's
1: not, John. I'm glad you brought that up. No, it has to be someplace liquid. Okay. Just make sure it has to be someplace safe. Yeah, All good, right. so good point. Don't good.
0: touch retirement. Don't touch retirement. <laughs> don't touch retirement. Retirement is not your emergency fund. Exactly. That's a good exactly. one. That's uh, six months. Is a, that's a great. That's a foundation for everything. It really it is. is. Number two here on the list is keep your debt below two and a half times your income. And you know this is a big one because the more you know, if you go more than this, you're likely going to stress. Uh, emotionally and financially, no one needs that in today's world. I mean, so as an example, you know, if you have an eighty thousand dollar household income, that means no more than two hundred thousand dollars in debt, and that includes not only your house but also your cars and and other debt as well. And another one I'll mention here is for your debt service, it shouldn't be more than twenty five percent of your after tax income. So whatever you <laughs> what if you bring home? That's 25% would be a target. And the truth is that is one that's usually a little bit more restrictive um, than the, the total debt limit. But follow those two and you'll you'll be okay overall. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice if our country followed that rule? I mean, yeah, you know, we, we, for sure. We're not anywhere close to that. I mean, we'd oh, have one-third of the debt and no deficit, but that's certainly not the case.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that's a good one. So keep your total debt below two and a half times your income. Yeah, and for most uh, young people, you're going to need about twenty times your gross income saved for retirement. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a big number, doesn't it? it
0: yeah, and it is. It is. But a if big you're young, you have a lot of time.
1: Exactly, exactly. That means if you make two hundred, if you make a hundred thousand dollars a year, eventually you're going to need like two million dollars saved up for retirement. So it is a big number. So why is that? Well, you know, at a four percent withdrawal rate you would have about 80% of your current income um for for income in retirement. So that's kind of another rule of thumb, you know, you need about 80% of your income for most people. Now I know that sounds like a ton of money um to save. It doesn't give you uh, you know, credit for social security or for a pension, but it also ignores inflation. So it's just a rule of thumb, a very general rule of thumb again. Everyone is different. Um, this is just a starting place. I mean, Social Security will be less by then for most young people, and pensions are going the way of the dinosaurs. So trust us. I mean, you're going to need that 20 times your income figure to retire on in 20 or 30 years for most young people. Yeah, so just kind of a general good. good rule of thumb. Next one here is you should have about 120 minus your age invested in stocks with the rest in bonds. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, I know historically, and sometimes you hear the number thrown around 100 minus your age, John, and and that works if interest rates are a lot higher. But in today's world, I think 120 minus your age is a lot better number um, in today's world. You know, of course, most rules of thumb are not made to count for every situation. So if you're 50... um, you know, you might need 70% in stocks and 30% – 70% uh, percent in stocks and 30% in bonds. If you're, uh, you know, 60, then that'd be uh, 60% in stocks, mm-hmm. 40% in bonds. So obviously it depends on your situation, though, your time horizon, your risk tolerance. So you can be more aggressive. You can be more conservative. Um, but we like to see any retiree with 40 – you know – 50% in bonds, something like that. So it's a starting place, but it depends on your specific situation. So go through the, the math and just start there and get more specific on exactly what you should have in the stock market.
0: Yeah, and number number five here on the list is uh, count on at least 3% inflation in any planning or future spending plans that you have. Most people totally neglect inflation in their planning. So this is this is a huge deal. I mean, if you're talking about long-term care, then, you know, it has to be 5 to 6% inflation instead of 3 If you're talking about college expenses, it, it also has been higher, probably in the 6% range as well. Uh, overall, the cost of living will double every 23 years at a 3% inflation rate. So, you know, you've got to factor this into your plans, make sure you have this accounted for. Otherwise, you know, your, your standard of living will decrease significantly.
1: Exactly. If you think you can live off $60,000 in retirement today and your retirement is 20 years out, that might be 120000 mm-hmm. in 20 years. So that using at least that 3% number, that's kind of as a minimum. 3% inflation number is very, very, very important. So that's a great rule of thumb. Okay, and um, you should budget and save about 2.5% of your home value each year for repairs or upgrades. That's a good one. Um, it is a good one because most people just totally neglect how much they should be saving for home maintenance. And the reason, you know, two and a half percent is the number is because I mean think about it, rental property depreciates over a twenty seven and a half year period is the kind of the standard depreciation period. Um so if you did no repairs after that length of time, it would be worth a lot less. It could be worth nothing mm-hmm. after twenty seven and a half years if you did no maintenance. So it really does cost about two and a half percent each year to keep a property up to decent shape. So you better budget for it. If you don't, you know, when the roof needs repairing or something big happens, um, you're not going to have the money for it. And, you know, sometimes these expenses come yearly, but sometimes it's every five years for something like remodeling or replacing a roof or a heating and air system. However, over time, repairs and upgrades are a lot bigger factor than most people realize for houses and for structures. So... Plan on that 2.5% of the value each year for repairs. If you have a $100,000 house, that would be $2,500 a year. you got a budget for home repairs. Next one on the list here is you should consider buying five times your income in term life insurance. Now, this is a very general rule of thumb. It can vary greatly depending on your individual situation. Um, Some may not need any life insurance if you're retired, while some may need 10 times your your, your salary and life insurance if there are a lot of survivor obligations out there, like a big mortgage and, you know, if you have a lot of children that you have to send to college. Um, however, this is a great place to start, five times your income in, in term life insurance. Then consider what your survivors would need to carry on and pay things, uh, you know, pay off things in the future. Obviously, you may need more if you have children who need funding for college, Um, we do think you should focus on term insurance instead of whole life insurance, unless you have a specific need for whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, term insurance, invest a difference by a good 20 year term policy or something that carries you all the way to retirement is my suggestion. Yeah,
0: that's a good one. Another one here on the list, um, rule of thumb is when you're doing planning for, for your retirement, look. You know, plan on 4 to maybe 7% of return on your investments. If you're conservative, maybe 4% is a good number, uh, you know, and higher than that. You can, um, you know, you're going to have to be a little bit more aggressive, 7%. You're going to have a, have a decent amount in stocks. Um, to get that, and you know you could end up with more if the markets are generous but it's it 's unpredictable, so it 's better to be conservative. You know the stock market has returned over ten percent over the last eighty years, uh, of course that 's without any uh, you know expenses associated with it, so you got to be careful you know when you 're doing the planning piece of it you got to probably be on the conservative side from a return standpoint
1: exactly yeah, good point it 's a good one all right, next one here is um plan to pay off your home in fifteen years even if you 've financed it for thirty years. <laughs> Um you want to get the debt behind you um especially before retirement. So get on track to pay off your home in 15 years. Simply do the math. Amortize your mortgage over 15 years instead of 30 and then never take out another mortgage once it's done. When it's done, it's done, you know? Then pay cash for any upgrades you're doing down the road. I mean, once your mortgage is behind you, then you can save all of that money toward retirement or college if that's still on the table. But get the mortgage paid off once and for all and at least before retirement. One and done. Pay off your mortgage 15 years. Be done with it.
0: One and done. I like it. Another one, uh, last one here on the list is diversification. I mean, never have more than 15% of your portfolio in one asset class. And in general, I mean, we, we think this is a very important rule of thumb. Unfortunately, some retirement plans don't have enough choices to accomplish this. If you're in the retirement plan uh, out at the Savannah Riverside, I mean, there's only one international fund, um, so that would be tough to do that. But you you should try to do it, even if you roll your four hundred one k over to an IRA, you, know, you get some better choices and and you you know get some some better diversification. I mean, that means you need to have at least six to seven asset classes in your portfolio. I mean, we like to see eight to twelve personally. Um, that's kind of what we target. I mean, having diversification, uh, excellent diversification is clearly the key to lowering risk, and that's really the intent of of this rule is make sure you spread out your investments. Exactly, exactly. Good one.
1: Okay, well, some of the takeaways here are knowing these general rules of thumb will help you avoid the big pitfalls. You know, these are general rules of thumb. They're not perfect, but they're a great place to start. So six months in an emergency fund is critical. Two and a half times your gross pay for total debt is a good limit to target. And then target 20 times your gross income as a retirement savings number, you know, know your number out there. Budget two and a half percent of the value of your homes for repairs and don't invest more than 15% in any one asset class to name a few. So remember those, stick to them, and that will keep you out of a lot of trouble. Okay, Good topic, and that leads up to our final one here, and that is the prescription of the
0: week. Yeah, see, this has to do with some technology. There's an app out there. It's called Stocard, S-T-O-C-A-R-D, and uh, I don't know about you, but my key ring has these little mini cards on there for like, you know, food yeah, line and yeah. gym or whatever. I don't keep
1: them on there anymore, so I love this, this idea. Are you using of this? this, this? App. No, I'm not. Okay. Kathy's been using it. She yeah, told me I saw about that. it. Yeah, I think it's incredible because I've been every time they ask me, I'm like, I don't, I don't know the number. Yeah, you know, I don't know the number. So,
0: so she, you know, you can scan that little tiny card and everything shows up on your phone in that app. So you then have incredible. everything. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I will say, um, Steve, we, we haven't mentioned this, but we have a Facebook page and, and we have some, uh, some videos out there on the Facebook page. And, That's right. and so go check out the Facebook page. We talk about the prescription of the week every single week. Uh, maybe, you know, similar to what we talk about on the podcast, but there is another way, another medium that we, um, that we post some of this information out on. But this, this, uh, prescription is stoke Stow card Go for check all of it out.
1: your little, little reward cards yes. that you have when you're hanging on your keychain. That's right. So you can leave those at home, just carry your phone, and uh, yet another way, amazing way, to simplify your life yes. using a smartphone. I love that. It's That's a great great uh, prescription of the week. Okay, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in to MoneyMD every week here to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, MoneyMD.net email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week.
0: Have a good one.